0: We are live here from the Five Four headquarters with Jordan Rady this evening. Thanks for carving <laughs> out time on this beautiful Thursday evening.
1: My pleasure.
0: So, being a South Bay native, somebody that grew up in the beach, the beach community here, um, what are some interesting things that that you can share about your childhood that you think is is unique?
1: I wouldn't say it's unique. To so uh, to me because a bunch of the SoCal kids did all these things mm-hmm. JG's um, AYSO soccer different sports I don't really remember much of my childhood per se like what age range are you thinking
0: Well let's let's go back to JG's for a second because it's right. JG season right now Yeah it is and I see the kids on Hoverboards, electric bikes, skateboards, helicopters, swarming—you know—to get to their <laughs> sessions in the their morning, 8 sesh, yeah. and then get some pizza in yeah. the afternoon, and mm-hmm. and and vice versa. So, uh, I think it's an amazing thing, and I think it should be down by law. Yeah, that that everybody does it. So, if you can give people a little bit more color on on what junior guards was like, mm-hmm. and and how it was for you.
1: I think my first JG experience was in fourth grade, and it was actually a bribe because I was an overweight child, and I would sneak candy bars under my pillow and would eat too much, did not understand moderation. And so JG's was a bribery. If I completed JG's, I would get a Razor telephone, the pink razor flip phone sweet back in the day yeah before iphones and so i had to do the i think it was four weeks long and my parents said if you do jgs we'll give you your first your first phone i was like heck yeah bribe me Uh, i'll do it and i did it and i am not a rudder not really a swimmer either a good swimmer and i didn't really love getting sunburned. So it wasn't really a recipe for uh, my success, but I finished it. And I think that was kind of the start of completing something that makes me uncomfortable. And that kind of built on itself as I got older, finishing things that you don't necessarily love and not quitting. And I did have an extra extrinsic motivation at the end, a Flip phone, um, but I think the experience was definitely valuable in a principal value kind of sense for me.
0: Mm-hmm. And it was your mom's idea for the pink phone.
1: <laughs> no, I think it, I think I said if it if I get this phone, I'll I'll do it.
0: You put your foot down. You I put chose my foot down. Phone. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> so, were you already? Uh, a water girl did you already enjoy the ocean or it was not a thrilling environment for you at the time I didn't love going to the beach I
1: don't know why because I mean I sound like a SoCal snob I mean plenty of people who don't have access to the ocean or this kind of weather I mean it's true almost 70 year round that's not. I'm not complaining but I didn't love going to the beach I think My parents would like to go to Hawaii, but only because it was warmer, near the equator, whatever. But I started going to the beach probably when I started JGs. But I knew how to swim um, from swim lessons and doing a little bit of swim team, I think. My, My mom put me into swim team, but I hated it. It was near MBMS, and I would put my feet on the ground of the pool and push off the bottom. And not actually do the swim. <laughs> wow.
0: But you come from a, a, an aquatic family, let's I do. say. Yeah. So it was important to your parents that you were safe and squared away in the water. Whether or not you became a competitive athlete, that was second nature. You're going to be able to swim.
1: Yeah. I think that is something that should be precedent in every family. And it's unfortunate that some, a lot of families don't have access to pools or to lessons on how to swim because there are plenty of pools and places that people drown because they don't know how to swim, which is scary. And it's crazy to think that most people in SoCal know how to swim, but plenty of people around the world don't.
0: Exactly. Uh, I I agree with you and, and uh, my opinion, Uh, JG should be down by law. Yeah. I I enjoy watching the process. It's, (laughs) it's a cyclical thing where the kids get nervous for the testing and after a week or two, most of them enjoy it and they get some fulfillment and they get some confidence out of it. And so even though you didn't love it, you got your phone, did you feel a little <laughs> bit different about your relationship with water or the ocean by the time that four week period was done?
1: Yeah, I, I was one of the faster girls I think in my, my summer group. The most fun activities that we did were nation ball. I don't know if you've heard of that nation ball. It's like glorified dodgeball. <laughs> and I love I that was the only reason why it got me going, get me through that those 4 week segments was because of the competitive nature of that. I thought it was super fun and being on a team too. That was my first kind of experience at least how I remember it. Like you're on a team. You're competing against the opposite team, and it was fun competing against people my age and guys, boys too. It wasn't just girls versus girls. It was both.
0: Yeah, it's fun knocking knocking the boys. Yeah. Out. So at that point, you did ayso soccer. Yeah. Mhm. And that was okay. Was I it honestly super don't, fun? Really I don't really remember. Yeah.
1: I kind of block out my well, child. What
0: was that? <laughs> The parts that you can remember and recall what was the the next the next chapter or the next step for for sport experience for you after nation ball competitive mm-hmm. co-ed nation ball at j g s
1: yeah, so I was still pretty overweight until I got into eighth grade, so I was thirteen I think, and the only reason why I got leaner was because I grew. <laughs> So, I became 58, um 59 and a half now, so haven't really grown that much since, but I grew and got more fit and I the f- second thing that I remember for athletics was when I was 13, I started playing water polo for Trojan Water Polo Club and one of my, or my coach was a 2008 silver medalist from water polo. Mariah Van Norman she was my first coach and I she took a kin to me and found some similarities between us and we kind of created this bond from the get-go and I still talk to her this day wow I'm I'm still trying to get her to sit down and have lunch with me she's busy with three kids wow it's that I remember that being my first experience real experience playing water polo
0: was it your was it your choice was there another bribe was there a phone or something else <laughs> that was thrown into the fray um or an invitation to to try a sport
1: i think it was well i actually really loved soccer and i was actually pretty good at it and i unfortunately had some weird feet issues and shin splints that i didn't love i still get them even in the water really yes and I could I didn't really want to play soccer anymore because it was too painful and my dad played Pomo, or played water polo at Pomona College, a Division 3 school, mm-hmm. and he had been trying to get me to play water polo and that was the opportunity for him to kind of push me into to water polo and it stuck because it was the right coach, the right time for me to kind of specialize because I did I did karate, I did AYSO soccer, I did softball, I did a lot of different sports, and it's. I think it's super important to let your kids do a bunch of different sports, diff- a bunch of different activities before they specialize, because one, they don't get burnt out if they continue to play it. I think there's more potential to become world-class and elite player in whatever sport that you decide, and it's just it's just more fun. Like I still love it. And I've been playing since I was 13, so 12 years give or take and some of the girls on my team have been playing since they were 8.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh very insightful. You're you're absolutely spot on. The the opportunity for for kids to have different experiences and there's different ways to look at it. In my simple mind and view, <laughs> I think that The different kinds of experiences on fields, short fields, big spaces, in water, good coaches, bad coaches, the, the opportunity to, to compete, to have experiences, to win, to lose, to fail, to succeed, all of those things, uh, we take with us, we have relationships Mm -hmm. with it, we have inspiration and, and energy and we can, we can, we can bring those forward, um, and they've done research, and from the beginning of the Olympic Games, as far as our participation in the United States, uh, there's, there's a correlation to exposure to different sports and activities in childhood before you specialize. It, it, absolutely, it absolutely does show up, and there's many different factors. And the, the fact that you can enjoy you're still enjoying your sport gives me inspiration that's that's really exciting and and if you can I I'm interested to just go back and discover what it was that was the the connection or or how the coach made the environment so uh exciting and comfortable or uncomfortable for you to pursue because that's that's a huge step to take in a sport that I think uh, a lot of people don't know about water polo and just see what happens above the water <laughs> and um, I have a lot of respect and admiration for all water polo participants and the higher up you go, the more, in my opinion, it becomes savagery it's Truly. not just a technical strategic sport people get it's nasty. really nasty, it's really physical yeah
1: and your question was regarding regarding your, your experience and your yeah.
0: and your coach there that 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 created that trust bridge for you to just go all in and, mm-hmm. and really have a healthy experience that um, set the foundation for where we are today years yeah. later.
1: Well, I think it was a lot of her because she saw something in me that I didn't see and so she wanted to help me. She would do private lessons with me on things that she had learned while she was playing water polo. She would stay after, we would talk about college. She gave me like a a North Star in a sense of kind of what I wanted, goals that I wanted to reach, which made it a lot easier to put in the effort every day and try and get better. And I think I still love water polo because I'm still learning even though I'm at the top of the pipeline on the senior national team. Um, I'm still learning every time I get in the pool. I can still get faster. I can still get stronger. I can still work on my mental game. I can still work on tactics in the pool, and that is really cool. And when I stop learning and I stop being passionate about that, then I think that is the time to transition to something else. But I think Mariah definitely instilled some goals in me that I wanted to accomplish. I mean, I have a silver medalist train or wanting to make me better. That's that's a shit ton of motivation for me to put in my best effort and that's my perspective, I have no idea how she was with the other girls on the team. I mean, unfortunately coaches, they tend to like other players more sometimes and that. And I was one of the favorites on, on that team. And I don't know how other people felt about her but she was a great coach, she knew her stuff and gave me some goals for my life and I don't think I would be in the same place as I am now.
0: Wow. So how many years did you play under her and play for the club?
1: Only a year, actually. Only one year. Yeah. And so I transitioned to Huntington Beach, (laughs) which my coach there was Natalie Benson Golda, who was on Mariah's team. So she was also a silver medalist in 2008 and she was a bronze medalist in 2004. And they were actually really good friends. So it was funny going to her club and I mean they have pretty much the same values the same stuff that they teach to their to their teams and so it was just a continuation of Mariah and what she had built with me that year and I mean those two women are truly what made me where I am or it gave me that kick in the butt
0: to start out Amazing so as your high school volleyball high school water polo volleyball, years yeah. <laughs> or, <laughs> as your high as your high school water polo years uh unfolded what was what was that like for you, and were you starting to gain some momentum and and belief in yourself of of what you are capable of doing when with the best of the best believing in you and mm-hmm. and and helping you and I also believe that the coaches are helping themselves when they do that too because. They got to the level that they were at somehow with an, an opportunity as well. Um, what what did that look like for you? When did you start to to believe that hey I can do something special in this mm-hmm. sport?
1: So I made my first team in 2011, and so basically, normally how it works is you you try and make each team and go up the ladder to the senior team. When and you say
0: each team, for those of us that aren't familiar with <laughs> water polo, you're talking on on a national level. Yeah.
1: Have you ever heard of Olympic development program? I yes. think soccer, mm-hmm. is, it's pretty much the same thing as, it's, it is ODP, yep. so you make your team each year for the tournaments in the summer. And I made my first team in 2011.
0: And you are, at this point, what grade in high school?
1: 2011. I graduated high school in 2014, so I was uh, 14. Okay. I was 14 years old, Pretty I think. Pretty cool. And we went to Puerto Rico and we got silver, but, which was a, a tough first tournament. But I think that was kind of when I, I started to realize that I had some potential in the sport. And honestly, I didn't have confidence in my playing until after I got cut from the Olympic team, straight up. Like I, I have problems with confidence, and it's probably childhood experiences that have not, kind of, it have kind of, not allowed me to develop my confidence. But I think going to therapy and working on your mental game. I think now, after. 2020 and the whole olympic quad i have more confidence in myself and i just was going through those experiences and learning but now as i'm now that i'm older i kind of see things in hindsight and looking back i didn't have any confidence really i knew that i was kind of good at it and i was getting some attention but I didn't have confidence that I could get to the next level.
0: From my perspective, it's a super tough sport. And what what was getting you through? Because there's hours and hours of training. It's physical, the preparation, the competitions are brutal. And if you were still on your path and, and yet to put that boost juice, let's say, into your <laughs> system. Squirrel juice. How, how, how did you get through those? How did you get through those times? Was it, was it outside uh, influences? Was it coaches that were, were open to you finding your way or a combination of those?
1: My parents taught me to not quit. And I didn't. And I think... There were a few positive affirmations from coaches that I mentioned that definitely fueled me for sure. And them saying, you are good enough to, to go there someday. And, and that was kind of in the back of my mind, put in my back pocket. And if I wanted to stop, I kind of thought about that. And I was like, maybe I, I could be, get to that level someday. And so I, I kept pushing, and but I never thought once to quit.
0: Wow. So let, let's pick up the story. Our hero left Puerto Rico <laughs> with, with the silver medal. Yeah. And, and what was next? You're 14 years old. That's just an awesome thing if, if that's the highlight of your sport career, just being able to represent yeah. your country. Totally. And, and then what happened after that?
1: So that was, I think, my freshman year of high school. My sophomore year of high school, I visited Stanford. And that was a done deal. I was like, I, I'd have to go there. Um, and that was also an extrinsic motivator for me to keep going because, I mean, I think the percentage of people getting into Stanford is 3% now. I mean, it was maybe four when I got in. I don't know how I got in. Shout out to JT, but <laughs> um, that was the only way that I could get into top colleges. I am, I'm smart because I work hard, but I'm not naturally gifted. I'm not a genius or anything. Um, so sport was my ticket to get to a top university. And that was also a reason why I played too.
0: So you were competing for your club mm-hmm. in Huntington. Yep. You were competing for your high school.
1: And national team. And yeah.
0: national team yeah. at the same time. Yeah. So really what we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen, it's 12 months a year. And mm-hmm. it's just the different colors on the costume, as I say. And it's, it's year round from 14 in the national pipeline, your club, and, and high school. So if you just want to give us a quick couple tour stops uh, along or some highlights <laughs> or some, some things that you want to share about your your high school years with, with those three programs, love to hear them.
1: Yeah. Huntington Beach Club, that was a gnarly – high school was gnarly. I, I would get up at 5.30, I would go to high school practice at 6.00, I would have class from 7 to 2. We would have 2 to 4 training with high school, and I would drive down to Huntington Beach from Miracosta, which took, oh, gosh, maybe an hour and a half down to get there early because I wanted to train with Natalie before my my practice. So that was an hour. And then I would do my practice from 7 to 9, I think, and then – go home, get home at, like, 10.30. Home. Still, I had to do homework to try and get into Stanford, do all my classes, go to bed at whatever time, and do it all over again. I honestly don't know how I did it, but that is what high school looked like for me sophomore year on until I graduated. And then it was... Week, weekends here and there for a national team. There was usually um, a three-day weekend in May. Uh, what's it called? Memorial Day weekend. And we would have a tryout. Mm-hmm. We'd have tryouts throughout the year when we'd have time. So and this
0: is happening all around the country simultaneously.
1: Yeah, so each, there are teams for each state, I believe. And I think there's one in Texas. And there's like an East Coast team, a Coastal team. A mountain zone team, and you try out for that specific area. Okay. And that's in the fall. And then you have a tournament in December where the teams come together and you play against each other. And then you, they would select, I want to say, 50 girls for the Memorial Day training camp. And we would go to that. It was four days straight, eight hours, pretty much a day in the, wa- in the sun – People from the places where there wasn't a lot of sun, like Seattle, would get blisters on their skin because the sun was so intense. But they would select the team from those 30, 50, say, girls, and then you would go to your summer tournaments. You would train after you're done with school, go to the tournaments in the summer, and then the tryout process would happen again. Mm -hmm. So I made... The Puerto Rican team in my freshman year, Uh, 2015, I made youth world championships in Madrid. 2016, there wasn't a tournament because of the Olympics, Rio. 2017, I, I was asked to go to the senior team and we went to world championships in Budapest. And then 2018, I got injured so i wasn't able to play until late august of our season and then there were some other tournaments in there along the way but those are kind of the
0: highlights wow and and obviously in in the conversation and it's hard to keep up with the accolades and participation you performed at a high level and had some incredible success at stanford
1: mhm yeah we got two national championships we were in the finals all four years. All four years. And then we lost to SC my sophomore and my senior year by one goal. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, those are tough losses, but I, I can't complain. I have two national championships. So that's that's, that's super, pretty cool. That's
0: super special. And when you were sharing what it looks like to make up and, and form you know the, the national team camps and, and these competitive groups that they send out internationally – Is it safe to say that a heavy concentration of the talent comes from Southern California for women's water polo?
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. On the senior team, we have one girl from Colorado, one from Miami, and that's it, I think.
0: Outside of California, everyone else is from Everyone's
1: either Northern California or Southern California. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. I mean, it would be great to have more of a plethora of state representation.
0: It's just gonna be hard to pierce that veil. Yeah. The level of competition as you're a perfect example of starting at a young age with great coaching and these great programs. uh, Yeah. The kids start and uh, I see more and more young people are doing water polo only at a really young age. Mm -hmm. They might swim as well, but water polo is is something that they, they, they stick with.
1: Yeah, I mean it's crazy because In other European countries water polo is a national sport and to see to be exposed to those fans when you play like for example when we were in 2017 Budapest World Championships there must have been like 10,000 people in the stands watching us that would never happen here they all just love watching water polo
0: and they know the sport, and they know the sport, and it sounds like you're at a concert. Yeah. while you're underwater, mm-hmm. it's super loud. Yeah, so if if you could share with us some some insight to what it's like on the senior national team, not at university, not at high school, not <laughs> a club, the the level of competition, the talent, uh, the the intensity, the uh, the output that's required just to to maintain, because uh, we we have one of the most successful programs in the world historically especially the last 10 years as you've been competing so that's that's a really special treat for people to get some insight on mm-hmm. what it's like on the on the inside of that
1: yeah i mean the girls are going to be competing for their third consecutive gold medal tomorrow against spain and the program just bleeds excellence i mean if you look at our the stats going back from 2009, I think almost every single tournament that we've been to, we've gotten gold or first. And the amount of talent that is on the team and all of it that has come starting from 2000 when water polo became a sport for the Olympics has been unreal. Um but I only know people from my quad the last five years Mm -hmm. and they could just consistently push you to get better because I mean, you're competing against the best in the world. When we would do, when we were in COVID we would train against each other. We would do scrimmages and I mean, you're competing the best with the best. You can't get that kind of competition anywhere. Um, And it's, it makes you better every day and our team really values being in shape and being conditioned and disciplined and every day was a battle I mean you got up at 6 you lifted weights really hard with Tim and then you do a swim set and then you would get out and then do it in the afternoon you'd scrimmage you would work on tactics and then go to bed and do it all over again and you wanted to get better, you and at least for me, I wanted to get there mm-hmm. and get better every day and just show what I could do and I mean, the training is ridiculous. I mean, I've never swam that much in my life. I've never done any of the amount of circuits that we did, and the amount that we lifted in the the weight room was legit, so I'm excited to get back into it for Paris and see what kind of new avenues I can pursue and new heights that I can reach as I get older and what I know now
0: Great credit to the u s a women's water polo staff that's the medical staff, the coaching staff, and the performance staff uh, led by coach pelo <laughs> well this is you know this is this is really important for people to understand that. The talent is only part of it, that I'm hearing the the players, the ownership, the standards, the culture, the energy that goes into it, um, the the level that's acceptable is just is through the roof. So I'm inspired. I, I want to go train right now <laughs> uh, along with you. What kinds of things did you learn about yourself in this last quad uh, that you didn't know previous? Because you've been competing at a high level, the highest level. And you're a national champion multiple times and you've been in the national championship four times out of four years. That's an awful lot for a whole community of people and this is just one person. And then when you deal with the guardrails of the national team, it's a whole nother level mm-hmm. when you bring everybody together. So what, what did you learn about yourself? um, you know, during that quad that you've got in your toolbox right now going forward. I definitely have
1: mental toughness and resilience. There are days that I didn't want to go to practice. I didn't want to put myself on the line. I didn't want to red get in the red zone of my heart rate. I mean, I got ex- exercise induced asthma from the five years of training. And I almost wear that as a badge of honor. Like I worked so hard that my body almost shut down. Mm-hmm. And there were days that I I didn't want to do it. I would cry. And <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to do that today. But you have to keep the end in mind and put in the work because the days add up. And if you improve 0.1 percent every day for a year how much percentage is that better? I At least 20% better every year. And if you keep improving, that's exponential if you continue to put in the same amount of work every day. And it's, don't get me wrong, it's exhausting, but if you know your why and you have a purpose behind what you do, you are more than capable than doing it.
0: Great. So, what would you consider at the moment to be your core values or your life mission statement that you've got uh that you've got with you at all times?
1: You can do anything number one you should be confident enough you should be confident in yourself because you have gone through all of these things um, What was the word that? I heard this word uh, from Carrie Walsh. I think she said, "You can be unfuckwithable. No one can screw with me. I will give it right back, and you can't mess with me." Um, And I think that these things kind of gave me an attitude, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: which I didn't have before. I not I wouldn't say that I'm dainty, but I mean I'm I I was kind of I'm kind of a pushover. Like I'll. I let people take advantage sometimes. Now the badassery
0: is on the surface. Yeah, the badassery,
1: I won't take your shit. Mm -hmm. And I think that this process has given me that, and I'm happy for it. And everything that I've gone through through the process has made me who I am, and I wouldn't change any of it because it fuels me, and it's going to fuel me for the rest of my life.
0: Wow. What would you say, in your opinion, is your greatest contribution to the, to the national team, the Olympic team, the last five years that you have provided your, your, your guts, your courage, your sweat, your blood, and, and a part of that is, is, is with this team 100%.
1: Yeah, that's hard question to answer because a part of me totally agrees with you. But since I'm not there, it feels like I didn't help which kind of sounds crazy because I was there every day. I did all the training. I was the last cut in June before the team went to Tokyo, but it almost feels like I'm not a part of the team if I'm not there. And all the girls would tell me, no, of course not. You, you made the team the way it is because you were there every day. You were a competitor. But I think if I were to entertain your question, I think my hard work and my work ethic was definitely something that was a strength of mine that I brought into the team. I think my personality, my sense of humor, my positivity definitely made the hard days a little bit easier for people. At least that's what I've heard from some people. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe they're just being nice.
0: Would your Stanford (laughs) teammates uh, uh, agree with that, or were you a different animal (laughs) there than now?
1: I'm definitely a different animal than I was at Stanford. I think I was soft at Stanford. I think, I mean, the program is phenomenal, and we went. We we've won a, a lot of championships, but the national team is a different level, and you have you almost have to learn how to work hard. I I thought I knew how to work hard when I was in college. I was lifting pretty hard for what I th- I thought was working hard, and now I know how to work hard. Now I know. When things get tough, that's when it starts. That's when you get uncomfortable. That's that's when you say, "Okay, it's go time." Like this is this is where you the growth happens. And I think that the past five years, especially in COVID, definitely taught me that.
0: Well, wow. you mentioned that you you have a passion and 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 let's say a gift for writing, and I'm curious and <laughs> in, in lots of interactions with athletes over the years. Do you use that as a superpower? Do you keep uh, track? Do you journal some things? Do you do some free association writing? Is any of that structure or is that just something that you you utilize periodically?
1: Yeah, free association writing I find really hard because I'm a perfectionist, and if it doesn't sound like a coherent sentence, I just won't even I won't even start it. But I have a mentor almost like a family member to me. He is, he used to be my English tutor when I was in seventh grade. I first met him Mm -hmm. and we just shoot the shit. We'll talk about articles in the news. We'll improve vocabulary. He, he pushes me to get to higher heights on my academic side and, has really given me a passion for English and reading and writing. I would, I mean, you need to be a good writer nowadays. You you have to, for jobs, for pretty much anything, even writing a text message, an email. You have to be able to walk and chew gum and being able to write is super important. And when you write a good piece of work, I did that. Like it's on a piece of paper it's in the news it's in a report I you have something written that you've done which I think is really cool
0: how do you feel about the the article that you produced for NBC and and was that something that was a process for you to try to perfect so that you can express yourself in a meaningful way and at the same time send a message out there to people that can really gain inspiration from your authenticity I think that the the courage the stick to the laser focus and the strength that you exude it's really easy to identify with if somebody is in the space with you and as you're explaining to be able to put that into a, a, a piece of written material and convey that message it's it's fulfilling and challenging
1: mm-hmm I think it's really cool when reporters or different forms of media ask you to write something or talk about your experience because it, you get practice getting better at talking to people, you get better at writing and whenever I get an opportunity to do that, like this, I get excited, nervous too, but excited to to get better and to share, hopefully share good insights for people but for that article I was just writing how I felt I was writing I was answering the questions that the interviewer had asked me and I laid my heart into that article It's how I felt and how I still still feel about it it's amazing that the girls are where they are but it pains me that I'm not there with them um but I mean the amount of people that have come up to me or have shared the article or have, I mean, I got a speaking engagement because of the article. I mean, that's that's amazing. Um, and have that kind of f- positive feedback from people is very special. Um, but also it was, that article was part of my grieving process too. Yes. It, it was a way for me to kind of get my my thoughts out on the entire experience and, what it meant to me and the emotions. I mean, I'm get, kind of getting choked up about it because that I mean, I still feel it and I I think I'll feel it for the rest of my life and it was it's really cool to be able to have that out in the world and have the response that I did from people.
0: Have you had an opportunity to talk with the, your your club coaches that you mentioned previously about your experience you, you're in touch with them? I'm about yeah, I'm in touch
1: with them about it. I I haven't seen either of them yet, but I mean, we've been in communication it's, it's in the works. It's in the works. <laughs> I mean, they both have kids, they have full time jobs and they're busy and I totally respect that and they, they have their own journey and they'll fit me in when they can.
0: Got it. So what's coming up for you now, you're going to have some opportunities to play overseas Before the national team resumes in in early spring, yeah. So, what what does that look like?
1: So next year is a little bit weird because of COVID. Originally, the twenty twenty one twenty or sorry twenty twenty to twenty twenty one, I was supposed to go back to Stanford for my masters for in sustainability sciences, but with COVID, we had to do an extra year of full time training, and I had to postpone that that masters to next this next year. And so I have to do that. And then also I'm trying to guest play. So usually people will go to Europe, play professionally for a season, play with the team, do Euro league, the specific country uh, competitions with other pro teams. Yes. When the, like for example, Greek cup, is what we competed for in Greece when I played there in 2019. But I'm only able to do certain tournaments because of my school responsibilities, and I can't do it remotely, unfortunately, so I have to be at school, but some of the teams allow you to guest play. So I'll only be going a couple times over during the year, but I'll be staying in shape at Stanford lifting swimming, playing some water polo, and then hopefully make world championships in May.
0: Gotcha. So I'm crystal clear, your time commitment and your sacrifices and, and all the things that you don't get to do to, to honor your sport, your the level that you want to attain. When there is free time, what do you do with yourself? What are some things that you like to dabble in or, or hobbies that you have or things that you like to do when you have free time?
1: I enjoy tickling the ivories a little bit. I haven't gotten to it recently because of how, how intense the water pool was towards the tail end of it. But I love playing the piano. Um, I think that's a great Avenue to kind of get in flow a little bit, just play and not worry about anything else. So I love doing that. I love <laughs> listening to podcasts. I I don't really listen to music that much, but I in the car I'll listen to podcasts. I'll listen to audibles. And like you said before, there's a, a lot of content out there and I, I'm always looking for good information to constantly be learning. And because if you're not growing or you're getting better, you're getting worse, so.
0: Correct, So I you agree. gotta
1: keep getting better. Out are here. you uh,
0: a person that enjoys being out in nature and if so, what are your what are your favorite things to do?
1: Out in nature. I love riding horses. I am actually going to ride some horses in August with my family. We're gonna be riding some horses for a week. I love doing that and being outdoors and because when you're there you actually get to take the horse and run, not the little prancy trot trail rides that you do around here. Um, but you get to ride, and that is something that is really fun for me.
0: Everybody can ride horses in your family? Yeah. Brother Jack can ride too? Brother
1: Jack, he fell off the horse last time, so wow. hopefully he doesn't fall off again.
0: I can appreciate that. I'm not, a, <laughs> I'm not an expert because the horses know that I don't know what I'm doing. So They I know get if the, you're afraid. You just can't be rub. afraid. I got the post rub on the knee last yeah, time. Yeah, shoot. <laughs> that's, that's, that's fun free 100%. Yeah.
1: Yeah. so I mean, that's just good old fashioned fun riding horses. I mean, we would play tag on the horses. We would do all this crazy stuff and you feel like a kid. I mean, everyone loves, not everyone, but a lot of people love riding horses and like playing games. It just makes you feel youthful again. It's refreshing.
0: Yeah, I, I I imagine so. I can't <laughs> I, ca- I can not quite relate, but I heard it's I heard it super cool. Yeah. Um one question that I have, if you could go back and have a conversation with your 13-year-old self before you've been on this incredible journey, knowing what you know now, what would you say to to Jordan back then?
1: Hmm. I would tell her to not care about what anybody thinks, and just keep doing you, because there's only one you. You're unique to this world, and the 7.6 billion people in the world, and if if you're not gonna be you, who is? So just be the best version of yourself, and work on that damn confidence. It's about time.
0: That's great advice, and I don't want to interfere any more than i already have i (laughs) want to i want to thank you for uh your amazing generosity and, and sharing some stories and your time with us and we look forward to supporting and following your excellent adventure as it continues
1: thank you troll